The, the first reading is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 118, beginning at verse 19. It can be found on page 594 in the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, the psalmist describes the king's triumphal procession through the gates of Jerusalem into the temple. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. It can be found on page 114 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we read of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a young donkey as he is greeted by the crowds. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed the sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Do please be seated as I begin in prayer. Dear Lord, we come before you on this Palm Sunday to ask that you rekindle in us the enthusiasm of the crowds in Jerusalem as they welcomed Jesus into their city on that first Palm Sunday. And would you help keep that joy and desire to praise you alive and strong in us and prevent it from being diminished by the trials and difficulties that may lie ahead. Amen. Well, in the past, uh, this church, along with many others, has celebrated Palm Sunday by giving out <clears throat> small crosses uh, like these, uh, a visual aid to help us bear in mind that although Jesus enters the city in triumph, 
the praise that greets him will, within a week, turn to scorn and end in his crucifixion. And we'll examine the reasons for that later, but first let's look at the passage uh, read to us from uh, the Gospel of John. And it's entitled, The Triumphal Entry, and is recorded in all four Gospels, from whose accounts we can piece together a complete picture. But firstly, a note of context. Jesus was coming down the Jordan Valley from Galilee towards Jerusalem for the Passover. He had encountered the tax collector Zacchaeus in Jericho, which is on the plain just above the Dead Sea and not far from Jerusalem. You can actually see from certain parts of Jerusalem uh, the north of, of the Dead Sea. So then he worked his way up towards Jerusalem to the village of Bethany, where his friend Lazarus had died and whom he brought to life when he stood outside the tomb and shouted in a loud voice, phoni megali in the Greek, Lazarus, come out. And he did, still bound in his grave clothes. And not surprisingly, news of this miracle spread quickly, both within Bethany itself and beyond to Jerusalem, which was only a few miles away and where many Jews were gathering to celebrate the Passover. So we see that there are in fact two large crowds, one described in verse 17, which was in Bethany and witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and the other, in verse 18, which, hearing that Jesus was in Bethany, came out from Jerusalem to meet him, and together they form the great crowd in verse 12, which took branches from the palm trees nearby and laid them upon the dusty road in homage. I said that we obtain a complete picture uh, from the four Gospels, and it's interesting that the other three Gospels didn't specify the kind of tree from which the crowd took the branches, but they do say what they did with them, that they laid them uh, on the uh, road in front of Jesus. But John tells us that they were palm trees. Now, palm trees had a special status in the Middle East, representing, as they did, life in desert lands, and even because of their longevity, some of them last for 200 years, a symbol of immortality. In verse 13, John tells us that the crowd greeted Jesus with the cry of Hosanna. And that's the English translation of the Hebrew hosh na meaning save now or grant salvation. But it's used here as an acclamation in the sense of all hail rather than a prayer. And it's taken from Psalm 118 just after the passage that Keith uh, read to us in verse 25. As is the rest 
of the crowd's acclamation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, implying that because of the miracles he's performed, Jesus is blessed by God and is bringing all those blessings with him into Jerusalem. The crowd continue to praise him as King of Israel, a clear reference to the Messiah, the much-anticipated one who is coming. In verse 14, John continues by showing that the manner of Jesus' arrival is also in accordance with prophecy. Here, Zechariah 9.9. Fear not, here implying actually a command to rejoice. The vacuum created when fear disappears should be filled with joy. Fear not, O daughter of Zion, another name for Israel and by succession the church today. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. It's a striking image there of Jesus, the most powerful man ever to have lived, the king of Israel, the Messiah, riding into his capital on the colt of an ass. A stark contrast to a comparison that many onlookers would have been aware of at the time, namely, when victorious Roman generals who were granted the privilege of parading through Rome in a sumptuous four-horse chariot, they were dressed in a purple and gold toga and they wore a laurel crown. And the general would be called Via Triumphalis, the man of triumph, becoming effectively a king for the day and regarded almost as divine. Next month, uh, we can expect King Charles III to ride through the streets of London in the golden coronation coach to be crowned at Westminster Abbey with appropriate pomp and royal panoply. And yet, if he follows his mother's example, he will swear allegiance to Jesus, who 2,000 years before him rode into his capital on a young donkey. That was one of the few times, incidentally, that Jesus rode anything. He walked everywhere, basically. Two final points to note from our reading. In verse 17, we're told that many who had witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead continued to spread the word. In other words, they kept testifying to the wondrous miracle they'd seen with their own eyes. They couldn't stop themselves, really. And you would have thought that everyone would have been delighted at that, albeit somewhat amazed. But in verse 19, we see that the ruling elite, the Pharisees, were not happy that the whole world, as they exaggerated, had gone after Jesus. They regarded his royal entry as a challenge to their authority 
and they wanted him dead. It's a dark and dramatic backdrop to the spontaneous and joyful spectacle of Palm Sunday. Jesus, of course, knew of the Pharisees' plans and what would happen as a result, but rode on regardless. He knew that the crowd's adulation was superficial and would soon turn sour. You see, they wanted a king in their own image, one who would free Israel from Roman domination and bring back the glory days of Solomon, when the nation, great in wealth and power, was able to lord it over their neighbours. They had no concept of the spiritual kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. And although they had recited their psalms for hundreds of years, especially Psalm 118, which was a hymn sung in triumphal procession to celebrate the victory God had wrought for the Israelites, they did not accept that to become a citizen of this new and eternal kingdom, they were required to change from within. They didn't want to do anything. They wanted the king to do it for them. And as John the Baptist had told them, you had first to realize that you were in need of forgiveness Repent of all your wrongdoing and follow Jesus. And so, uh, within a week, a long time in politics, as we Brits have learned from recent events, and egged on by their own rulers, the crowd turned against Jesus and pressurized the state to have him crucified. And in contrast to their previous cheering, They poured scorn upon him as he struggled on his way to Golgotha. And in memory of the events of that momentous week, we today fashion palm fronds into crosses. And we can do so with the benefit of hindsight, but I wonder if the society we live in today might pride itself in saying, well, we'd never be so fickle with our leaders, or that we live in a community that's much more advanced, tolerant, and open to new ideas. But have things changed, really? Do we not expect of our governments solutions, call it salvation, from problems which are sometimes of our own making, even where some become addicted to drugs, alcohol or food, or make decisions that create avoidable stress and attendant mental and physical problems, government is expected to deal with it. And often the only way they prove that is by announcing how much money they've allocated to the issue. There's much talk of the need to achieve proper economy when spending taxpayers' hard-earned money, but when it comes to accepting a higher rate of tax, they prefer it to come from the wealthy, i.e. not them, others. Even the French, who know that their pension system is not sustainable 
in its present form are violently resisting an increase in the working age from 62 to 64, as if that's the end of the world. And I saw one young Frenchman on TV saying that such early retirement was a human right. But before we start gloating, let's look at our own island. We have a housing crisis caused primarily by the exorbitant cost of homes and rents. And yet many in the States are landlords charging high rents because that is what the market can bear, in the words of our housing minister. Too many are invested in the status quo for it to change voluntarily. Similarly, with the recent departures of senior civil servants, while they weren't crucified, they were certainly neutralised by the Jersey establishment. Are we as Christians willing to develop as true disciples of Jesus and embrace the change he wants in our hearts first, even when that might involve cost or inconvenience? Please God, that some are, so that like the Bethany crowd, we can keep on witnessing to Jesus' mighty power and follow the one who was rejected, but who is now the cornerstone of our faith and the only real hope for our world. Amen.